This is The Shorts, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a Duct Tape Than Beer production, with additional support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Patagonia. It's about uh, two in the morning. Um, I'm standing behind a bus. That we're we're uh, pulled into a gas station for a minute. Um, uh, I've got the beginnings of a cold, I think. I'm heading down to uh, Gibraltar, so I should be there at like six in the morning or something, almost seven. Um, I'm gonna cross the border and then try and post up there for for a while camping as long as I can and try and look for <coughs> a boat crossing the Atlantic um, I have no idea how to sail I have no idea how to get on this boat I, I, I don't know anyone down in Gibraltar but I know people have done it and I know so I know it's possible so <laughs> just gonna try it I was sitting at Charlie's, a dim bar near a marina in Gibraltar on the far southern tip of Spain. The air was filled with cigarette smoke, stale beer, and that dead-end feeling of late nights. I was trying to hitchhike a sailboat across the Atlantic Ocean, and it was not going well. No one here knew me or cared. I spent my days wandering the marinas looking for boat captains or shipwork. I spent my nights talking to sailors at the bars and sleeping in the abandoned military tunnels in the Rock of Gibraltar. My visa had run out in Spain the day after I arrived. Gibraltar is British, so I didn't have a problem staying, but I couldn't go back to Spain. If I wanted to leave, it was either for the New World or Africa. Across the table was an unshaven sailor from New Zealand. He wore a sleeveless shirt, was covered in tattoos, and drunk. I listened while he pointed to different tattoos and explained their meanings. A sextant, a schooner, a ship's wheel. I pointed to the bird on his shoulder. What's that? A swallow, he told me. A sailor can get a swallow tattoo only after he spends 5,000 miles at sea. What about that, I'd asked. He laughed. The anchor? Just a symbol for good luck, safe passage, and all that. Two days later, I found my ride. My future captain, Gula, was a wild-haired Scandinavian who'd been sailing for over 30 years. He interviewed me with three questions. Had I ever sailed before? No. Did I get seasick? I don't know. And could I leave tomorrow? Yes. He didn't own the boat, a 53-foot, single-masted Genoa. Rather, he was a delivery captain. He took boats owned by charter companies and sailed them wherever the company needed them. He was taking this boat to the Canaries and the British Virgin Islands. Eula said he could sail the boat alone, but it was much easier when he had more people to take watches and share cooking. In exchange, I had free passage across the Atlantic. By the end of the day, Eula had assembled the crew, 
myself and three others. Ivan from Norway, Rasmus from Denmark, and Natasha from France. Yula laughed and called us the United Nations. Only Yula and Rasmus had any sailing experience at all. And for the next month, we would be no more than 50 feet from each other. We left the next evening after dark. The small boat wove between the lights of the yachts and huge container ships. I felt a new kind of freedom, a recklessness of abandoning myself to the ocean. It was time for my first night watch, my first night at sea. Eula was on deck, lit by the glow of control panels. It's easy, he said. Keep the wheel steady. Try and keep the boat at 195 degrees and make sure we don't hit anything. See you in the morning. I gripped the leather-sheathed wheel. My eyes gradually adjusted to the darkness and I gasped in awe. Stars. A planetarium of stars. Nowhere on land. No high, remote mountain or empty desert compares. The night sky wasn't black, but dappled, shot through with cold white light. The Milky Way was as clear as a strip of cloud. It's my first night on the boat. We're at uh, sailing along the coast of Morocco right now, just past Tangiers. Um, so far I haven't gotten seasick, which is a really good thing. Uh, but we'll see you know, if the weather, if the, the waves get choppier. Oh, it's just, it's so wonderful. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's literally a dream come true. I'm not exaggerating in the slightest. The next morning, the water was mirror calm. The reflections of clouds on the water rippled slightly. The boat drifted, barely any weight, giving the wild sensation of sailing in midair. The hazy strip of Morocco off in the distance to our left. It was unlike any landscape I had ever experienced. Ivan and I stood at the bow with our mouths hanging open. Eula saw us and chuckled, told us to wait a couple weeks, see if we still liked dead calm water. Eula pointed to the GPS chart and told Ivan and I to stay a hundred miles off the coast. There were pirates. I smiled and then realized he was serious. Well, let's, put, let's have this somewhere where you know that they are there. Sure. Keep your eyes open if there's any stupid looking small boats. <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Most likely they are without lights. The wildness, the lawlessness of the open ocean gripped me. We were walled off from help by sheer distance. Out here, pirates could take over your ship and no one would know. The sea was dead calm during my watch the following night. I tried to keep both sails full, but there was not even enough wind to hold the Dacron fabric out and the sails just ruffled with the rocking of the boat. I waited for sunrise. If not for the soft clink of the ropes, the creak, the lap of wavelets, it would have been absolutely crushingly silent. 
rolling pretty hard. The next day, the sea changed her mood. 25 knot winds heeled the boat over like a sapling. We sailed over big rolling swells 10 feet high, up and down, roll and pitch. I had planned to make pizza before the weather blew in. The dough had been rising all day and I was damned if I would let a little rolling get in the way of my dinner. I went down to the galley and tried to take the dough out of the bowl. But I needed one hand to hold onto the support poles and two hands to cook. Eventually, I figured out a way to jam myself between the counter and refrigerator with my knees to free up both hands. I turned on the tap, and the water streamed out sideways, wetting the counter. I opened a cabinet, and spices and cans flew out at me like wasps out of a nest. Bottles leapt off shelves and hit the opposite wall. I tried to dribble a bit of oil onto a pan. The oil refused to come out. Then gravity switched, and half the bottle glugged out. Slamming the oven door on the completed pizza, I breathed a sigh of relief. An hour later, we laughed together and ate piping hot, gooey cheese and pepperoni pizza, difficult as momentarily forgotten. I struggled to get to sleep that night. Anytime I drifted off, I rolled to the side of the cabin and dragged my blankets with me, books and laptops slid into my face. Eventually, I fell asleep lying sideways, feet on the wall so as not to roll. I woke suddenly during the night because my back had levitated entirely off the bed and my weight was resting on my feet. There was a loud crash, which I discovered in the morning was when Natasha flew out of her bunk and hit the wall. Rough seas continued the next day. It wasn't a storm. The skies were sunny, clouds raced by, but high winds and swells continued to strain the boat. The boat would race up one side of a swell, crest, then plunge like a roller coaster into the trough of another. Whoop and howl, fight the wheel, the murderously pitching craft, the pink sunset ahead. Dolphins raced next to the boat, leaping from the waves. The sleek gray back of a humpback whale surfaced. Every gust of wind blew us further into the unknown. I hoped someone on the boat had a tattoo of an anchor. Occasionally, we had to tack or turn the boat so the wind hit the opposite side of the sail. In this way, a boat can sail zigzag into the wind. When the gale hit the other side, everything below decks would crash across the cabin. Worst of all, we were now sailing into the waves. The boat overshot them like a jet ski, leaving the bow in free fall for a moment, then bang, smack down on the water. These smacks were so violent I felt sure the hull would crack. Waves sent a salty deluge over the deck. Eula and Rasmus had excellent sailing waterproofs. They looked like astronauts. I had only my hiking rain gear, which was leaky under the best circumstances. Ivan, though, had only a cheap poncho that tore in the first hour of his watch and did better at keeping water in than out. Still, he accepted the constant dousing with good humor. Watch that night was a dream in itself fighting mountainous black waves and screaming wind with all my might, the slapping and plunging of the boat, the smack of spray in the face and the burn of salt water in my eyes, the gorgeous orange bloodshot moon over my shoulder. Afterward, I lay sticky on my bed in the stifling heat and humidity. From somewhere came the whooshing, waterlogged, gravity-defying dreams. the weather for only five days, but after a couple days we had entered a kind of dreamlike state, never quite sleeping, 
never fully awake. Slept a few fitful hours between shifts, forced a few calories and liquid into our mouths. Our entire existence was crusted with salt. A headache dully throbbed through it all. Then one morning, I woke up, and the rest of the crew was on deck, staring ahead. A huge island loomed like a mirage. Cape Verde, off the coast of Africa. A week later, out at sea, rested and restocked, we fully settled into our routine. The sea was calm again, gloriously calm. Too calm, in fact. We were making little progress. The high tropical sun baked the glittering waves. Humidity left dripping patches on the walls. As we sat baking in the still air, feeling the texture of every swell, we came to understand the meaning of cabin fever. I got two pages into L'Etranger before I realized I could not read French. I was in my journal so much, Eula asked me if I was writing a novel. God knows what hour. We're absolutely dead in the water. No wind. We've been running diesel a lot of the day, so no more diesel. We just have to sit here. Oddly enough, the boat rocks a lot more when you're not moving than when you're you're moving hard. I'm just itching. Not, not, not like itchy, like, like uh, scratch itchy. Just like it's really, really strong desire to to move around and to you know use use the muscles, which I mean, it's strong enough that uh, that that it wakes me up at night sometimes. Uh, well. There's still like two weeks left at least, so <laughs> figure out some way to deal with it. On Christmas Day, the boat was 600 nautical miles from land. I was salty, sunburned, and hadn't taken a shower for two weeks, while my family was buried in snow along with the rest of the eastern United States. It was my first Christmas away from home. Rasmus cooked a spectacular dinner, a whole pork roast cooked in its own juices, thick strips of bacon, baked potatoes with carrots and peas, and thick, sweet homemade gravy. I played a Sinatra Christmas album over the boat's speakers. Eula brought out a bottle of red wine, a real treat as we assumed all the booze had disappeared long ago. We talked of home and Christmas and what we were going to do when we got to the Caribbean. Afterward, we lay on deck, gloriously stuffed, trying not to think about the bags of lentils that were all we had to eat for the next few days. The boat had become home. I liked its rhythms. I liked the nights, the sunsets, and the light swinging through the portholes, the pods of dolphins leaping out in a flash of spray and sleek gray skin. The dangers and miseries and sleepless nights had lodged in the back of my brain, they so often do, 
as warm memories, stories that smacked of adventure. It's incredible how quickly I had grown accustomed to a new life, then come to like it. But this is what real travel does. Not only does it explode my notions about what is possible, it redefines my ideas about what is easy, what I can accept as normal, even begin to love. Study benefits. Train coming. You can leave this. Oh, nice. You can open the other one. <laughs> okay. It's the roof, but I don't think there's any rain coming here. Yeah, I don't see any. Maybe it's there. Fine with me. I was reading in the main salon when Ivan's shout came from above. Land ho! We scrambled to the deck, and there, against the endless blue, was a thin brown smear. Thirty-three days and five thousand miles after leaving Gibraltar, we were coming into the Caribbean at last. As we came into St. Martin, a swallow swooped over the bow of the boat, fluttered by the windlass, and perched delicately on the tip of the anchor. My name is Joe Altman Moore, and this is my short. Joe hasn't hitchhiked on any more boats since he made it to the Caribbean, but he's still out on the road, most recently climbing in El Portero Chico. You can find pictures of his sailing trip and a link to another essay on his wanderings at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today by Broke for Free, a single voice, the United States Marine Band, and Jason Shaw. The tracks come from Mevio's Music Alley and Free Music Archive. You can find the links to artists on our website. You keep the diaries thriving. Your donations, words of support, story submissions, t-shirt purchases, iTunes reviews, and stoked to share episodes with your friends. That's what keeps us going, recording stories in a closet for the past eight years. Here's to going strong for a full 10 years of stories. We're looking forward to it. Support for the Diaries comes from Patagonia. We're stoked to announce that our new film, Force, will debut online March 9th. We've compiled footage shot by 17 climbers over the past five years to capture the story of photographer and climber Mikey Schaefer's attempt to put first ascents on the seven summits of Patagonia's iconic Fitzroy Massif. Watch it at patagonia.com. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks, who is partnered with the National Forest Foundation. A tree will be planted for each rack sold in 2015. Check out their lineup at kuatracks.com. And from New Belgium Brewing, who just introduced their Slow Ride Session IPA. Visit their website and click the Beer Finder button to track down a slow ride within biking distance of wherever you are. This episode was produced by Jen Altschul and Becca Hall. I'm Fitzka Hall. And you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Capital ship for a sailing trip was a walloping window blind. No wind that blew dismayed her crew troubled the captain's mind. The man at the wheel was made to feel contempt for the wildest. Oh, it off the pier when the gale had cleared that he'd been in his bunk below. So blow you into hope, a road and I will go. I'll stay in our new shores, I'll let the music play. Hey.